And I just asked this morning, who of you, after last week's message, found yourself like smack in the middle of situations that were testing you in regards to temptation and trials? Anyone? Right? Isn't it incredible? We, we have to be on guard. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus said, we have to walk circumspectly. We have to walk in such a way that, that we're aware. That we're aware. You ever been like hiking and you're not paying attention? Right? And then the person in front of you like pulls the branch back and then they just let go. Anyone been there, been the recipient of that nice little surprise? Or the person who ducks under the spider web but doesn't tell you it's there and then you're doing this whole deal? Um, we have to walk aware because the enemy, the Bible says, is like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And he's seeking to prey on the weaknesses in our lives. And so no, no surprise that we would have a conversation about temptation and then walk into a week going, okay, Lord, you knew what was coming because here it is right here. So, but greater is he that's uh, uh, in us. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. In us than he that's in the world. I was almost said, I almost got that backwards, and that would have been a bummer. I'm glad I stopped. Well, today we're, we're jumping into a new part of this overcoming series, and it's the overcoming home. We're going to be talking about the overcoming home. Um, I, I chose the overcoming home because essentially we're going to talk about family, but, but it sounds funny to say the overcoming, overcoming family, like, like you have to overcome your family. Like, Lord, would you just help me overcome my family? No, that, that's not the heart. The overcoming home. We're going to talk for a few weeks about the home. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about our relationships with each other. Um, and of course, Father's Day is the perfect day to kick this off, right? The overcoming home. This morning, I want to speak about the power of family. The power of family. I, uh, I love gardening. One of the things I'm excited about, about, uh, about this new home that we're in is we have a huge backyard. And, uh, and when we're talking to the landlord, I, you know, they put in this beautiful lawn. It's gorgeous, big grass back lawn. And I was like, well, could I just take one corner and, and build like some planter boxes? Because I love gardening. Now, Megan's, you know, you can have a conversation with her later, but I love starting gardening projects. She, she's He's like, you're not really good at finishing them. But I like the idea of, okay, let's say that. I love the idea of gardening. I love getting into the dirt. I love planting seeds. I love seeing them sprout. And, and, and it is fun uh, when you're able to eat, right, the fruit, the, the, the product of your labor. We had uh, our last home, we had some tomato bushes, and they were just they were just producing really nice tomatoes. And so we got tomatoes. We had some, some bell peppers. Gardening is fun. Being able to grow things, or even just a flower garden. Planting, planting uh, flowers, planting bushes, planting these plants, and then seeing these flowers come out. It's just gorgeous. It's, in, 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 it's fun to enjoy uh, seeing the result. Um, but here's the truth. If, if you want to get fruit or vegetables, or if you want to have beautiful flowers, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Just like I was talking about like with our dads, right? There's a lot of work that goes into gardening. You don't just decide one day and say, hey, I'm, I want to I grow a vegetable garden. And then, uh, and then just hop in the backyard for a few hours and be like, okay, I'm done. All right, I can't wait for the vegetables. That you're better off going to Trader Joe's because you're not going to get vegetables. 
Gardening is an intensive process where you have to go out. You have to prepare the place. You have to make sure it's going to get the, the right. Any gardeners in the house? Just, just so I know that we're on the same page here. All right. I understand the mechanics of gardening. Let me just say that. You've got to pick the right place. You've got to make sure that the, the soil is correct. Now, I haven't gone this far. I have a friend who will actually like test the pH in the soil. and He's a geologist, so I think it's kind of required that he does that kind of stuff. But he, he gets the most incredible fruits and vegetables because he gets the garden set up just right. Well, once you have the garden set up, then you have to go out every day and check it. And you've got to make sure there's no weeds. You've got to make sure it's getting water. You've got to fertilize it, right? And it's a daily thing. You're going back out. You guys, are you tracking? Just someone nod their head and be like, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm with you. All right. So, so uh, just a lot of work. You've got to get your hands dirty, right? It's not like a stand back and go, okay, now to make tomato plant, like I really need you to do well. Now, some people do believe you should talk to your plants, but that's not what I'm, I'm saying here. You can't just encourage and go, come on, you can do it. Produce good tomatoes. It's not going to work, right? You've got to get in there. You've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to, I love the word cultivate. You have to cultivate uh, these plants and make sure that they have everything they need. How about this? You've got to plant their seeds in the right season. You ever looked at a seed package and it's got the growing zones? Uh, when we lived in Alaska, it was a real bummer because like, we're like the, 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 dark, the dark blue growing zone, and there was very little that would grow up there. But, but the stuff that did grow in the summer grew like crazy, but we had a very limited crop, things that we could plant. There's seasons that you, grow, you plant seed, certain seeds in the spring, some, some seeds you plant in the winter, uh, and if you plant them in the wrong time, guess what? They're not going to grow, right? The summer that we're having as of yesterday, Right? Nine, 90 plus degrees, there's certain plants that are just not going to perform or produce in that kind of weather. You have to know how to do it. But here's the thing. Somewhere along the way, someone decided they're going to come up with a, a structure that's going to enable them to grow in multiple seasons and control the growing environment. And they call it a greenhouse. It's called a greenhouse. Anyone ever seen a greenhouse or been into a greenhouse? We got to visit Bouchard Gardens up in Victoria, Canada, years and years ago with our family um, before I was even married. And they have one of the biggest greenhouses you've ever seen up in Canada, but they're growing all of these tropical plants because they're able to control the environment and cause things to grow in a, in a climate outside that shouldn't allow it. Because of this greenhouse, they can grow these beautiful, beautiful plants and uh, and. and just gorgeous, gorgeous things. So, so a greenhouse becomes this thing you can put in your backyard. It's, it's usually made as kind of plexiglass or acrylic so that the light can come in. There's usually some kind of venting system so you can adjust the, the temperature. You don't have to water as much because you actually create humidity, and the humidity is what waters the plants, and, and it just becomes this perfect place you know, and you see people with like the prize-winning winning zucchini that they're holding. Like, this is my zucchini, and I'm pulling mine out of my garden, and it's like, this is my zucchini. You must have a greenhouse, and and you're able to control the environment. So, okay, why why the talk about gardening? Well, because family, the home, is essentially a greenhouse designed by God. A greenhouse designed by God for people. For people to be able to grow in the way that he's called us to. See, family and the home is God's idea, not man's idea. 
How do we know that? Well, first of all, God's word tells us right in the beginning of the book, right in Genesis chapter 2, God, is, God sets up this garden and then he puts man and woman, right? Adam and Eve. He puts them together and then he gives them instructions on how to live in the garden and the, the work they're supposed to do and, and how they're supposed to cooperate and work together. And then he makes that statement, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined or cleave to his wife. And they shall become one. Why? Because they establish a new greenhouse, a new home. And so, did he have to tell that to Adam? Which, if you think about it, he says to Adam and Eve, you've got to leave your mother and father. But wait a minute. God created them. Why does God confuse? No, he's establishing a pattern for all of us that we can follow. So it wasn't just for Adam, and I love that about God's word. That's something that was written thousands of years ago, something that transpired thousands of years ago, still applies to us today. And we take those principles and we put them into practice. Family is God's idea. And because of that, he has a divine plan on what family should look like. So I know that God has a plan that's not our plan because, first of all, it's in the Word of God. The other reason is this, is that family and the home are under attack in our culture, in our world today, more than ever before. The very fabric of what family is and what the home is, is being ripped apart and torn apart by a world that says, hey, we have a better idea of doing this. We have a better, and I don't want to, I could rabbit trail into a conversation here uh, about gay marriage and, and, and about, uh, you know, systems that work, the things that the world says, well, we can just do whatever we want to do. It's, it's a conversation for another day, but can suffice to say, God's design is God's design. And he never intended for us to tweak it, mess with it, tinker with it, and just kind of do whatever we want. Now, Here's the thing. There are lots of pastors who are like lightning rods because of things they say. In fact, I was reading something about Rick Warren and a statement he said, and now they're, you know what? At the end of the day, it's God's words, not my word, not Rick Warren's word, not any other pastor. What does God have to say about this? God says, I have an order to things. I have a structure to things. I have established the home. I created a man and a woman, and I've designed them to procreate, be able to have children, to be able to establish a home and grow those children in the ways of the Lord. So we're going to just focus on that aspect of the word and not get, get into the weeds as much with what's happening. But we do know this, that in our culture and in our world, not just in the U.S., this is true around the world, that family and the home is under attack like never before. And as we have this conversation today about the overcoming home, about the power of family, we'll understand why the, why the enemy will come against family. Because when, he, when we understand the power behind family, we'll know that we're the greatest threat. Family is the greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness. It is the greatest, it's the single greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so, right, you go after the thing that's going to hurt the most. And so we want to talk about family. So could I pray this morning as we kind of jump into this next conversation? I believe it's something that's very appropriate and needed in our culture. So Father, I just pray this morning that your words would come through loud and clear. Your idea for marriage, your idea for the home, your idea, Lord. And so Father, I pray that the things that are in your heart would just hit home today. Lord, more than just in this building and in this room, I pray today 
that the truth of your word would ripple out across this community from this place. Lord, I know that probably within a few hundred yards of this very spot that there are homes that are under attack, that there are marriages that are struggling, that there are children that have gone wayward or in rebellion. And Father God, I pray today that that the power of your Holy Spirit would go out like waves across this community. And Lord, bring correction to areas that need correction. Lord, I pray that your words would be in the mouths of this congregation. Lord, that we wouldn't just be informed and have more information, but Lord, that we would be equipped and empowered to go into the world and have conversations that lead to transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. So, God's idea, God has a plan. Um, I want, I, there's two words I want to declare right now that, that, that are part of family or part of the home. The word place and the word name. See, family has a place and the home has a place, but the, the home also has a name. Just like the church. The church, in the same way, has a place and a name. It does, the church doesn't just have a place, though. It's not just a location. The church has a name. And I'm not talking about new community. That's not what I mean. The church has this name. We are the bride of Christ. Right? We are the family of God. How, how do I know we're his family? Because he says you're his children. We're joint heirs with Jesus. That means we're family. Right? We're family. And so God has, has established a name and a place so we can come together as the family of God in the church, just like we are now. But we are also his family outside of this place. Why? Because his name has been written on our hearts. Right? It's called being, having a prophetic witness. It's what God intended for Israel when they came out of Egypt. He said, you will have a prophetic witness in the world because I am going to put my name on you. And my name is the thing that will make a difference. Now, I have a place prepared as well. It's called Israel. It's beautiful. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But you notice that he didn't take them to the place until they got the name part right. And so in the same way, just like for us as a church, we have to know that we are the family of God. In fact, I'd, I'd made a, a statement a few months ago in a, in a message uh, when I was talking about kingdom authority and the, and the power of God's kingdom in the church. I'd said this, that we are a covenant community that actively and consistently displays the agape love of God. That we are a covenant community that actively and consistently displays the agape love of God. I love that we can take that picture of what we are as a church body and apply that right to the family. It just translates perfectly. Why? Because God has established the home and the family and the marriage and kids and parenting and all of these things, not just as an end or a means unto themselves, it's, just not, it's not just a matter of convenience. God didn't just go, hey, I'm going to set up the home and marriage because it's, it's the best way to get this thing done. That wasn't his heart. His heart was this. I want this to be a place where my love, where my power, where my authority, where my oneness can be seen in the world. And so he establishes 
the home, starting with the husband and the wife. He brings those two together. He says, this is what you will be. What is covenant? Covenant is, is the idea that we are in, in, in an agreement where we're bound together. It's mutual that we are connected with each other. God establishes covenants with his people all throughout Scripture. And he initiates these covenants and he says, listen, I will be your God and you will be my people. And here's the terms of the covenant and, and, it, and it's binding. Covenants cannot be broken as opposed to a contract which a contract if you think about it is really self-serving i go into a contract or i sign a contract to make sure that i'm covered i enter into a contract to make sure i get what out of this what i need to get out of it and that you don't get more than you should get right i just signed a lease agreement i just signed a a contract saying you're going to get this much money a month in rent it's covering me because I don't want to have to pay more next month because the landlord goes, hey, I just decided to raise the rent. No, there's a contract that, that we enter into. God does not enter into a contract with us. He enters into covenant, and he's designed covenant to be a part of the home because covenant is mutual. It's not self-serving. Covenant always has the other person in mind. Covenant is always about me serving you not you serving me. And I tell you right now, I, I, marriage, most of the struggles in marriage come down to this idea right here. It, if we could get this in our marriages, we wouldn't need all the extra books and classes. That, that the covenant of marriage is not about me, you serving me, it's about me serving you and me laying my life down for you, just as Jesus did for his bride, Right? Amen? Let that sink in for a second. Covenant in marriage is about me saying to my bride, to my beautiful wife, this is me serving you, not, hey, what can I get out of you? That's not the heart of God. And so you can see how the world starts twisting and warping and saying, no, listen, marriage is you have to go in with a prenuptial agreement and you have to have all these agreements to make sure you don't get burned breaks the heart of God because he says it's not the intent. And so the greenhouse, it's like building a greenhouse, but not putting in any of the plexiglass and thinking it's going to work. doesn't work. God says we have to establish this thing in its entirety, and he's given us everything that we need. All right, so there's a little bit of framework there. Joshua, this man named Joshua, who became the leader of Israel after, they moved, uh, after Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and, and Moses died before he was able to go into the promised land. Joshua was an amazing man of God. And in Joshua chapter 24, we read this passage. Joshua says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefather worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then he makes this statement, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've loved this passage, especially since I got married. I, I've, I've quoted it. I've preached on it. And, and then a few years ago, I came to realization that I thought Joshua said this at the beginning of his life. 
early on in his marriage. You know that these were the words that Joshua declared at the end of his life. He was at the end of his run. He was getting ready to go to be with the Lord. And it's at this moment that he makes this statement. As for me and my house, my household, in fact, he says, we will serve the Lord. And it kind of threw me. I'm like, why would you make that kind of statement at the end of your life? Well, here's why. Because Joshua was a big picture guy. He was a big picture guy, and he realized that his family was more than just the nuclear family, his, him and his wife and his kids, but that he was making an investment for generations. And he was taking a stand as the patriarch, as the head of his home, to be able to say, as for me and for the generations that will follow me, we will serve the Lord. He was building a massive greenhouse. He was making a declaration, a spiritual declaration about who they would be as a family, as a home, as a household, that we will serve the Lord. Can I tell you this morning, church, we have to take that stand in our homes, not just for ourselves, but for the generations that will come, come after. I used to live under condemnation. There's passage in Scripture it talks about the sins of, it's in Deuteronomy, it talks about the sins of the fathers being revisited to the sons. And that passage just bummed me out. Because quite honestly, I had a kind of a messed up family looking, looking back, right, through history. I was like, really? I get to inherit all of that? And, and so it really, it did. As a kid, I was like, oh man, I'm kind of stuck. But there's other passages that also talk about the fact that God doesn't visit the iniquity of the father on the sons. And so it's like, is God confused? No, it's not that at all. I came to understand that passage is this. It's not that the sins of the fathers are revisited because God is punishing the sons for the father's behavior. It's that when you grow up in a household and you watch your daddy doing something, when you grow up to be a man, guess what you're going to do? You're going to do the same thing. Even for those that would make a declaration that says, you know what, I will never be like my dad. And they, and they make that statement, but it's not a statement founded on the Word of God or the integrity of the Holy Spirit. It's just a personal, I, usually out of a hate my dad and I don't want to be like him. And in 10, 15, 20, 25 years later, what happens? Just like your dad. Why? Because God says there's learned behavior here. We grow up in a household. We see things. We learn things. We pick it up as we go. And so generations, he said, to the third and fourth generation. Why? Because it usually takes that long for things to be unlearned. But God can step in at any point of the process and cut it off. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he can redeem people because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He can save them and transform them and say, you're not subject to that anymore. We can start a new bloodline, a new lineage, a new generation, just like Joshua said. You can worship the gods that your forefathers did. You can, so, so he, and he paints that picture. He says, there's the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're in right now. These people that you're with, you can worship their gods or you can worship the gods of your forefathers, the ones that came before, or you can take a stand right now, just like me and my family, and say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. A public declaration that leads to blessing for generations. I heard this recently. It says that you will, 
You can teach what you know, but you ultimately reproduce what you are. You can teach what you know, but you ultimately reproduce what you are. For the, the dad or the mom who would say, don't do as I do, do as I say, it holds no water. It holds no value. It holds no, uh, there's, there's no impetus for a child because they're going to model behavior. Every parent who's ever had their kids say something, use a word, anyone, your kid said a word and you're like, where did you learn that? From you? I know, I had that happen. And it wasn't a really bad word, but it wasn't a word. Out of my mouth, I was like, oh, that's no big deal. Out of their mouth, big deal, right? In fact, they, they repeated a word, and I was like, where did you learn that? And Megan said, uh, honey, that was you. And I'm like, oh, okay. We have to be so careful what we bring into the greenhouse, what we allow to be a part of that environment. Because so, if we start bringing the outside environment into the greenhouse environment, we start contaminating, we get stunted growth, the things are not going to produce, the fruit is not going to be there like God intends for it to be there. See, you will receive a heritage. You get a heritage. You don't get to decide your heritage. It's just what you get. But you will leave a legacy. And you have everything to do with that. See, your past doesn't dictate your future. Jesus dictates that. If you will walk in step with him and say, Lord, I'm choosing something different for my home, for my marriage, and for my future. See, I don't want to just think about my kids or my grandkids. I want that four generations from now, that the kids that, that, that come through my bloodline will say, you know what? Great, great, great Grandpa Barry, if the Lord tarries, is, is a man after, was a man after God's own heart, and he loved Jesus, and he loved his wife, and he established a home that we're here today, we're serving God today because of that guy, that man, that, that, that person in our heritage. I want to leave that kind of legacy, and my prayer is that you would too. So God has designed marriage. He's created this covenant community. He calls us to, to establish in our homes and say, as for me and my house, just like Joshua, we will serve the Lord. So, so I want to share a few things, just a few quick points about uh, what, what the home and, and, and family is designed to be. I'm going to hit on these uh, pretty quickly. I've just got a handful of them. Um, this is not exhaustive, but I think this gives us a clear picture. So if you imagine your home, you're building a greenhouse, and now you're deciding what needs to be a part of this greenhouse. What are the things that we're going to be doing inside of this greenhouse to cultivate right? The fruit, the vegetables, the flowers, the things of beauty that need to be a part. So this is the, this is the stocking of the greenhouse, as, as it were. The first thing is this. The home is, is supposed to be a place of order. Supposed to be a place of order. God is a God of order. If you read about the creation account, God doesn't do things haphazardly. The, se- the six days of creation, he did things in order, and he established things in order. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are, 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 they're in order with each other. There is an order. There is a Father. And even though they're one, we understand that God is the Father. He is the Father. That Jesus is the Savior. That the Holy Spirit is the Comforter and the one who empowers. And they each have distinctive roles, but there's incredible order. He calls us as the church to be a church that has 
order. Paul talks about in Corinthians, be a church who has order, do things in order. Why? Because God is a God of order. 1 Timothy 3, verse 2 through 5 says this. I think we have the words on the, the screen. Is it not working? Okay. Oh, there we go. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Order, order, order. Now, it would be easy to read this passage and go, well, God's not called me to be an overseer of the, overseer of the church. But I just established that, the, that, that, that we're as a home and as a family, we're a prophetic witness just as the church is. And so every father needs to think of themselves in the authority that God has given that you are the overseer of this body of believers in your home. And you better believe that God will hold us to these things and say, how well are you taking care of your family? Order is important. There are roles, there are functions that need to be played that that cannot be substituted. They cannot be substituted. I feel impressed to just say this real quick. There might be some of you going, yeah, but my family is broken. I didn't grow up in that family, so am I just at this disadvantage? Do I just, I get the short end of the stick? And before we go any further, can I just say, let any condemnation be removed. I'm talking about, this, this is God's ideal. This is what God has designed. But we live in a broken world. And guess what? God doesn't go, oh no, I don't know what to do now. It's broken and I can't fix it. He always has a plan. He says in the Psalms, in fact, we'll read the verse in a second, but I'll, I'll just allude to it. He says that he will be a father to the fatherless. He says, listen, whatever gaps there are, I can step in and take care of it. But his desire is to work through us, not circumvent us and go around us. And so he gives us the opportunity to work. So if you're in a place where, man, I grew up in a home that, yeah, I was the furthest thing from that. Or maybe you're in a home right now where you're like, we're struggling and that's not what we look like. Don't feel like, oh, I'm stuck. It's okay. This is why we want to have this conversation. It's important to address these things. Because if I don't know what the standard is, if I don't know what God has designed, I've got nothing to aim for. There's nothing for me to shoot for. You, you ever seen some of the, the, the little pictures on Facebook, the, the memes, uh, that where you know, they'll, they'll show a cake, like someone did this beautiful like decorated cake, and then, and then the next one is their attempt at doing it, and they'll be like, nailed it, but it doesn't look anything like the first one. Sometimes that's what it feels like, right? Like God's like, here's what it is, and then I look at what I have, and I go, okay, well, it's, it's not nearly that. But can I tell you, it's like when a kid brings a painting home from kindergarten and it's all finger painting and stuff and, and you look at it as a parent and you're like, it's like a Picasso, right? It's just beautiful. God sees us with that heart. And this is kind of stirring in me right now. God sees us through that, that lens and when we come to him and go, Lord, this is... And this is what I have right now, and it's not that great, but it's the best I could do. That he doesn't go, can you just go back and try again? 
and just do a little more effort, that our Heavenly Father embraces us and He goes, that is awesome. That is awesome. And what does that do to a kid? I want to go right back and do another painting. I want to, and every time it's going to get back, and the parent every day, right? Every, the mom and that dad's just going to go, that's incredible. We, in moving, we have boxes of paintings from kindergarten and preschool because my wife values those things. Mike is getting ready to graduate high school just in a couple of days and go off to college, but we still have the paintings from preschool because they're valuable. Are they good? They're okay. Sorry, Micah. (laughs) But through a mom's eyes, through a mom's eyes, they're they're priceless. They're priceless. God sees you that way. So don't feel like, well, what I have is broken and doesn't match. God says, no, what you're doing, if your heart is forming, if you're moving towards those things, I see you where you are and I honor you and I bless you in that. So if that speaks to you, please receive that. There are roles and there are functions in order. We all know when we've encountered a home that lacks order, where things are just going crazy, kids that are just going crazy, and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to be in a home that lacks order because it's separated from God's intent. And, and, and I think there's something wired into us that when we know how things are supposed to be, God says, that's where you need to work. That's where you need to invest that time. The home is supposed to be a life-giving place. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Can you see the team? The, the father's instruction and the mother's teaching, both together. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, you might have a 14-year-old in your house, and the last thing they're thinking is, this is a garland for my head and a pendant for my neck. But we as parents in a home environment, we do what's needed. We speak where the need is. We speak truthfully and in love. Even if the kids, I know my kids, there are times where I'm like, no, you can't do that. You know, and you get the argument. But you stand firm. Why? Because eventually those things will, will be that, that thing that graces them. And they go, I'm so glad my dad taught me that. And I know I didn't receive it in the moment, but years later, I get it. Usually that's when their parents, they become parents and they're going through it. They're like, oh, that's what you were saying. But the things that the place, uh, being a life-giving place, that I'm going to speak life. I want to speak life into your, into your life. I want to make a deposit of life into who you are because it will last you for your life. When life-giving and the words that we say and the things that we do, the way that we behave with each other, our actions in our home need to bring life. They need to speak life. And it's just an easy way for us to check our hearts and check our motives, check our behavior every day and say, is that life-giving? Is that life-giving? Is my child, is my spouse, are they going to feel like they've had an infusion of life or have I sucked something out of them? Has it cost them emotionally? Has it cost them spiritually? We want to make sure that the the home is a life-giving place. We want to make sure that the home is a place for nourishment in the same way that you would fertilize your plants. 
And I have a couple of different bags of fertilizer. I have my just general fertilizer for my plants, for my, my fruits and vegetables. But then I have a separate bag of fertilizer for palm trees. Because palm trees, little palm trees, have different needs to tomatoes. And so you've got to get the right mix. You've got to get the right fertilizer. The home is a place for nourishment, not just physically. Of course, you want to have a good meal at home. But being nourished emotionally and spiritually and these things that happen from when you're a kid, nourishment that takes place where you're just sitting together on the couch. Megan and I, at different times in our marriage, we've tried to institute couch time. And, and it would be a time where I'd come home from work, and, and for the first half hour, the two of us would sit on the couch, and the kids knew, just leave mom and dad alone. They just need to catch up. That is nourishing for our kids. Can I just tell you, if you've ever, like, you've been hugging your spouse and then your kids, what do they want to do? They just want to get right in there, right? Why? Because there's nourishment when your kids, they're being nourished through their eyes, they're being nourished through their ears, through their senses, through that touch. There's a nourishment that takes place as we invest into their lives by modeling behavior for them that is in line with the heart of God. Place of rest. The home needs to be a place of rest. And, and I think this is one that's getting harder and harder and harder. I used to do some graphic design work for a rabbi up in Alaska. And uh, Rabbi Greenberg, is, is, he's a great guy. And he is, he is pretty st- stereotypical when you think about what a rabbi would be. And he's, he is hard-nosed and driven. And, man, he's got lots of opinions. And he wants it done just a certain way. And, and we became great friends over the years. But here's what I knew of Rabbi Greenberg. At sunset on Friday, he was not accessible until sunset on Sunday. And then my, my phone would light up again. I mean, on Saturday. Then my phone would light up again, and I would get text messages and phone calls. But in that culture, Sabbath, rest. God rested. He instructs us to rest, and we are not good at rest. We don't know how to Sabbath. We don't know how to pull away. And we, not only that, we don't, inst- we don't instill that into our homes. See, quiet time is time that's supposed to be filled up, right? That's the, world, the way the world does it. If there's downtime, right, it's like in the restaurant business, time, you know, time to lean is time to clean. But we bring that into the home with us to say, listen, you just got to keep going. You just got to keep going. There's always things to do. The home is designed to be a place of rest. That doesn't mean that's all we do, but there needs to be rest in the home. There needs to be time that you're carving out that says, we're just going to take it easy. Maybe even just unplug from the electronics and just have a conversation or sit in the backyard, but, but do something that's restful, that our kids need to be able to rest in the home. Because they learn something about the heart of God. He, God knows that we are not at our best when we don't take time to rest. And so that's why he instructs us to take Sabbath. The home needs to be a place of learning. Talked about this last week, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Talked about the, the synapses last week and how a kid that they have a neuroelasticity, that their brains are able to take in way more information. In fact, when, when they're like two and three years old, when kids get to that point where they're putting everything in their mouth, right? Everything is in their mouth. Why? 
because they because their mouth at that point is the most sensitive part of their body. And so they're, the, the nerve endings and their lips and their tongues, they're, they're getting the textures and the taste and all of this information. And that is, I mean, if you could just see in their brain, their brain is just going, it's just this activity that's happening as these neural pathways are being established. Those things that we teach, and I'm not saying go home and stick something in your kid's mouth. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, we have to make sure that our our homes are a place of learning, that our kids are being instructed in the ways of the Lord. For Joshua to say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, he actually had to do something to make that happen. That we're going to actually do what God said, where we're going to talk about the things of the Lord when we sit down, when we're around the fire, when we're in our homes, when we're coming and where we're going. Let's talk about the goodness of God. Let's talk about who He is. Let's talk about His kingdom. Let's talk about how He's called us out of slavery and into a promised land. Let's talk about how how Jesus died on the cross for our sins, making it personal for us. What are the things that God is doing, sharing those testimonies, that we become a place of learning, and there's things that are established in the early days, those little saplings or those little plants that are just sprouting in the greenhouse, the things that are established early on will last them until they're in a place where they're growing their own fruit. God says, but do it early. But that doesn't mean it's just for the kids, because here's one of the things we could read that and go, well, it's a learning place for the kids. I learn more at home than I do anywhere else. I learn about my motivations. I learn about my attitudes. I learn about how to do things right and how to mess things up really badly. See, because the home is also a place of grace where I can make the mistakes I need to make so that I'm better equipped for life, whether I'm in my 40s or, or five. That I can make those mistakes in an environment that should be God's intent that it is a place of grace, that there's no condemnation that we invest and pour into each other. So that we can learn and grow. See, because the home is also a place of correction. The home is a place of correction. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. He loves us. And in a home where there's this agape love environment, that it's appropriate for us to correct, to bring correction in a loving way. It's like pulling the weeds out of the garden. It's like inspecting the leaves on the plants to make sure there's no critters. You pull those things off and get rid of them. Why? Because they don't belong. They will bring destruction. And those places in our home where we don't bring correction and we let things slide, God says, you are introducing destruction into your home. Don't let that happen. A place for correction. God has an amazing plan for family. We're talking about a nuclear family. We're talking about extended family. Aunts, uncles, cousins. Some families are closer some and really tight-knit. Some aren't, and that's okay. But here's the thing. I, God is calling us as a church to make sure that our home, our home becomes the nucleus, it becomes the center of who we are as Christ followers. See, to come to church on a Sunday morning and think that this will fill that cup, fill that tank, it's, this is not enough. This is like the dessert after the meal. This is just the extra. But the, 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 the things that take place in the greenhouse, in the environment of the home, 
are powerful in shaping and cultivating and transforming and setting people on a course for generations. And we have to put the work in. We have to make the investment. We have to do the hard work. We have to get our hands dirty. Say, Lord, and and I believe that God can bring correction, that he can bring adjustment. When we come to a place and say, Lord, my family looks nothing like that right now. God says, I can fix that. I can bring that into alignment. Not just for us, church. Not just for us. When I think about Glendora, California and our surrounding communities, this is the place where our families have need. This is the place where our community is hurting. Because we look good on the outside, but when you crack the door and you look on the inside, things are not going so well. Our marriages and our homes and our kids are in trouble. And we have the hope of the world. Not, not showing up at our door, but living in our homes. Doing this work in us, why? So we can go into the world and bring that hope and be a prophetic witness in our communities. It's time for us as a church to have overcoming homes. Homes that stand strong so that we can be like a Joshua and stand up and say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Our prayer team will be coming, coming up. If you want prayer for your home, if you want prayer for your marriage, if you want prayer for anything whatsoever, we'd love to partner with you in prayer uh, today. I pray you have an amazing Father's Day today. I'm going to pray a blessing over us. As you go, there's a, a photo booth. Dads, get some pictures with your kids or, 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 or your spouse or there's some props and stuff. Have some fun with that. Um, thank you for being here today. And I, I'm, my prayer is that the Lord just spoke something to your heart in this place today. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word that, Lord, that it transforms us God, that you're committed to us getting better, getting stronger, growing deeper in you. And Lord, thank you for the home. Thank you that you've established the institution of family, not just a place, but a place that has a name. And Lord, we have a family name and we have individual names, but Lord, your name is on us. You have written your name on our hearts. We belong to you. And Lord, I pray that the homes represented in this congregation would thrive. I pray for homes that have been in seasons that they're struggling, Lord, that they would enter into a season of abundance. Lord, I pray that we would tend to our gardens, that we would take care of our greenhouses and make sure, Lord, that everything that's supposed to be there is there and everything that should be taken out is removed. In Jesus' name. Go with us today. I pray blessing on the dads. Help us to have an amazing afternoon. We look forward to all that you have. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.